Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here out there for us tonight. We're glad to have you along as we make our way through another portion of the book of books tonight. We're uh, deep into the uh, the book of the Chronicles. And remember that originally, uh, First and Second Chronicles, as they appear in most of our Bibles, there was originally one book, the Chronicles, uh, authored, it is thought, or compiled in most cases, we would say, instead of authored, uh, it's uh, by, by Ezra, this uh, remarkable scribe, this guy who had a tremendous um, commitment to and love for the Scriptures, the the, uh, the the book of Deuteronomy, Genesis, and so on, and um, he accompanied the people of Israel. They were in uh, bondage. They were in exile over in uh, Babylon, as you recall. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar had come over and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and taken many, many young men and women and uh, just great numbers, thousands of people, into exile back over into Babylon. You remember Daniel. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the Hebrew names. (laughs) Jacob would correct me if he were here with us live and tell me the right names, their Hebrew names. But they went over into Babylon. Seventy years they were there in exile. And then Darius, this Mede, um, Darius the Mede was the one God used to release them back into um, 
back into Jerusalem. You know what I heard this week, John? Uh, by the way, uh, welcome, everybody. This is Soapy. You're listening to the Bible Live. Jacob is going to be joining us in just a bit. He got a chance to go out and visit with his grandson uh, and uh, his daughter, you know, from Mother's Day and be with them as a family. And it just uh, uh, jumped at it. But he's going to be joining us by phone. <clears throat> and we'll continue our discussion and our taking your phone calls as well all during the next 90 minutes. You can join us and talk a little bit about uh, the book of the Chronicles or, of course, any other passage or any other portion of Scripture that you find interesting. Uh, maybe there's a question. Maybe there's something you you wonder about uh, the Bible, God's Word, about the, what this this whole idea of, of uh, a human being having a relationship, a personal relationship with God himself and being able to experience God and walk through life hand in hand with the Creator himself. Uh, it's an astounding thought. There's no doubt about it. That is just still just boggles my mind that the fact that uh, that any one of us, any one of us on this planet, you know, seventy billion people, all you know, all over this this rock we call planet Earth, and then <clears throat> that we that that the Creator of the universe, of everything that exists, and the sustainer of all that exists, that He even knows about this little speck of dust called Soapy Dollar or whatever, you know, your name or others' names, that he even knows about us or care. And the fact that he knows about us and, and really cares and loves us, that we are an object of his interest, of his concern, uh, of, of his... Um, of his desire. He is zealous of that relationship. He desires to know us and to experience. It just, it is an astounding thought. There's no doubt about it. And I'm not unaware of that. Sometimes I think we as believers, we throw around these terms and we throw around these concepts so easily because we're accustomed to them. And we forget how astounding, (laughs) just really uh, I'm amazing, you know, um, and, and a lot of people. I think I think there are a lot of people in our world who probably, or at least I would say, and even in our culture, in American culture, that that would put themselves down as non-believers, not necessarily because they're hostile to God or the idea, in a sense, but because they they probably just cannot imagine it. They just it's. They just think I can't. We can't know if that's true, and it, it, it it's just too good. You know, the idea that God would care about all these people and it has a plan and so on, and yet the 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 alternative to that is absolute, total meaninglessness, purposelessness, and chaos. I mean, a moral and ethical chaos. Uh, the alternative to to God is is unthinkable as well that we are just here we we rise up we die we're gone like dogs in the street and we just that's it and there's no because we have a hunger we have a desire for purpose for meaning for uh relationship you know all of those things that we have a hunger for are found in uh, the uh the message of scripture of a of a personal god a God who knows us, loves us, cares about us, and desires that relationship. We seem to be created for that. You know, we have this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that Pascal, uh, the French philosopher, talked about so many centuries ago. And um, C.S. Lewis says something about that, that, you know, if you, how absurd it would be to be born in a planet 
with thirst, you have thirst, but but there's no such thing as water, <laughs> and uh, th- that you would you would conclude from that that either you know, it's a total absurdity, or if there's no such thing as water that would absolutely satisfy that thirst, that probably we are intended for that kind of world. That this world is not our ultimate. A world without that satisfaction is not our ultimate destination. That we were ultimately created for that. Because if if you have if you have that desire, what, how would you experience a desire for spiritual reality and spiritual fulfillment, relational fulfillment on that on the spiritual side? But if that doesn't even exist, where would that impulse even come from? That that's uh, it's a remarkable observation that he has made. So we are. Um, Talking about all those kinds of things, and I, I wanted to mention this week, uh, Jacob is going to be calling in in just a moment. Harold's on the phone line. I'll visit with Harold in just a moment. And I'm, I'm almost positive Harold wants to talk a little bit about Mother's Day. He, uh, he often mentions his mom and, and family, and, and, of course, we all have that on our hearts today. It's a very special day for that. So uh, I'll be glad to join him in a minute. But I wanted to uh, just mention quickly, too, that a thought occurred to me this week as, as we're Continuing our way through the scriptures, we get through the entire Bible every year, asking questions and answering questions, uh, trying you know, trying to involve you as well as we think through these different books of um, the book of books, <laughs> and we are in the Chronicles tonight. <coughs> then <clears throat> I did want to mention just that. John, can you get him on uh, hold so that get? Uh, I, I think Jacob is calling in right now, and can you put him on there where he's? We have uh, he could join us in our conversation. So you can do that. <coughs> Excuse me, folks. <clears throat> but I just wanted to mention too that that it occurred to me to mention in our conversations that, and Jacob, I know feels the same with me about this is that we our intention has never been for the Bible Live radio program to be a cerebral uh, academic program. I mean, obviously that's a part of our consideration because there is content, there are uh, things that are said, and there are dates, there are times, there are places, there are faces, there are in names of people and incidents and, and so on. So it, we don't come to the Scriptures, uh, you know, it, 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 is a, an obje- it is an objective revelation that God has given of himself and that we can, we can study it, we can examine it, we can question it, we can, uh, we're, we're in fact, uh, in, we are in fact, encouraged and commanded to get into the scriptures and go deep into the word and understand it, where it comes from and so on. And so we're trying to do that. But at the same time, uh, the, the intent was never to be cerebral and academic, but but devotional. In other words, uh, when we ask questions, when we answer questions about the scriptures, the ultimate uh, objective is not just to you know, know the book line, you know, each verse, each chapter and all that sort of thing and all these academic questions. But the ultimate objective is to get to know the the author of the book, to get to know the God of the scriptures and know him and enjoy God and enjoy our relationship with him and, and allow him to guide us and protect us and provide for us as, as his people uh, in our time, in our journey here on planet Earth and, and on into eternity. So I uh, just want to put that out there as well, just so you 
know that as you call in, don't hesitate to to share as well the experiences in the scriptures and things that have meant a lot to you and have maybe changed, made a big difference in your life. Where again, it's not just about academics and questioning. You know where this dates and times and place. We want to know those things that make they're important, but let it go all the way through to the idea that its ultimate uh, application is how do we know God and how can we serve Him and how can we live in a way that honors Him. Well, we'll get to the Herald in just a moment. Let me just say hi to Jacob calling from over in Florida, uh, Florida, the other direction, Arizona tonight. Hey, Jacob, how are you? What are you up to? Well, I am uh, up to uh, agreeing with you. <laughs> That's good. Thank you. Good to hear from you, my friend. How's Tavin? How's the? How's your daughter and all the family? Everybody good? Everybody's doing fine, and uh, as usual, I'm spending too much money on them. <laughs> well, that's all right. Uh, you, you know, it. what's it for, right? What else could it give us greater pleasure? Yeah. Uh, what, are you, what are you going to buy? Another pair of tennis shoes, another meal, another suit? That's right. you got to spend it on, and it's a, it's almost a very, very similar type of lesson. That's what that grandpas are for, about. right? Say again. Yeah, and you were saying uh, about the Bible, it's uh-huh. good to know all those details, but the truth is, if it doesn't mean something, if you don't enjoy it, if it doesn't build your faith, it really doesn't do much. And so the money, if you, even if you make money, if you don't have fun with it with your family, you kind of lose the meaning of that, too. I know, I know. I'm, 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 I'm so glad to hear you uh, backing me up on that. You know, it, it's in the end, it, it's it's all relational. You know, it's the it's the relationships of life that, you know, the kind of the icing on the cake of all the different experiences and adventures and challenges of life. But it's those, uh, it's those relationships. You know, uh, I don't know very many people have ever gone to their the end of their life and uh, on their deathbed said, "Oh, I wish I spent more time at work." You know, it's it's usually, "Oh, I wish I spent more time with my mom and dad." my husband, my wife, my loved ones, my children, my grandchildren. It's, it's the relationships. And ultimately, of course, that relationship with the Creator Himself uh, is all, all it's the relationships. And I, I just kind of want to reminded folks, remind folks of that, that it's not just all academics, and that's a part of it. And frankly, I tell you what, Jacob, you have done more to uh, – enhance my understanding of scripture and and uh, i've been in the bible ever since i was a young kid memorized huge portions of scripture studied it taught it uh helped take it to 45 40 45 countries of the world over these 47 years on the mission field and and yet i tell you you have done so much with those that hebrew perspective hebrew language hebrew culture hebrew traditions and understanding uh of these of of the scriptures oh they, they they just enlightened me so much, and they've really made a great difference uh, in my life in terms of um, my understanding of God and understanding Him and His ways and uh, His, uh, you know, His the application of the Scriptures to my own life, the way I live, and so on. I always, I never want to go too long without saying thank you for that. You are a great, great you help know. to me. You really are. Well, you're, you're very nice, and the truth is, is that. Uh, you bring, if I may say this, you bring kind of like the life and the spirit. I sort of just bring the technicalities. <laughs> no, it's more than that. We're, it's a it's a great mixture. I, I think I'll, I'll be honest with you. Uh, and uh, good to hear from you. Well, I'm, now uh, say hi to Tavin to to the daughter. If any of them want to join us tonight or sh- join in on the conversation, I'd love to have them. Uh, did did uh, have a great Mom's Day or anything special over there for Mother's Day or? Oh, well, we did 
you know, we went out to brunch and uh, then we went met her do things she wanted to do and uh-huh. have a new card and and uh, you know so we uh, she got to pretty much spend the day. She began with breakfast in bed, fixed by Tavin. Oh, that's great! Wow. Yeah, is, and, he good, uh, is he a good cook? What does he make? Ham and eggs, or no, not ham and eggs. I, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm pretty I'm sure he did not. Pancakes. No, he did not make ham and eggs. So <laughs> I just thought about it. Well, that probably wouldn't be the thing, but it might be pancakes or. Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah. He might, uh, actually, he, had, he fixed her a little a vegetable omelet. Oh, wonderful. Great. Good for him. Well, like I said, let him join us if he'd like to share anything. But now we're in the book of Chronicles. We continue there. I think we've gone on now uh, deeper into the book. Do we get into Second Chronicles tonight? It seems. Or, or are we still? I don't think so. I, I, I think we're finishing up to the end of First Chronicles, okay. if, if I'm I think you're right. We haven't moved on into Second Chronicles yet. So we'll, we'll start at chapter 5 and go through chapter 24. Uh, and I was just telling folks, this is a selected history that Ezra has put together to remind these returning uh, exiles, these um, refugees, if you can use that very live uh, uh, current word, from uh, uh, Babylon. A lot of them, young people who who they they've never been to Israel. They never uh, they they were out of touch to some extent with their their culture, their 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 uh, uh, that covenant relationship with with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Ezra has put together this selected history, uh, highlighting the positive sides. You notice that there's not a lot of negatives. There's, they don't list the you know the, like the sin of David and his fall in, in this with Bathsheba and so on. He really is emphasizing the positive, wonderful side of God's blessings and promises and so on to the people of Israel, uh, seemingly in, in these uh, in these chronicles that we're reading. So we'll pick up there um, tonight in chapter five and make our way on in through the end of the chap- uh, end of the first book of the chronicles, uh, chapter twenty four, and then next week, of course, we'll center in on. Um, Second Chronicles. Now, there's a long list of people that are listed in the what I guess they call them the the, the what's the word they use for those the not the chronologies the um, well, genealogies the genealogies the, over these people and I hope you can uh, repeat a little bit of what you said last week about this long list there of uh, uh, Seth Methuselah Noah Shemhamid Japheth Peleg Terah Terah Abraham's father Abraham Isaac and Ishmael and Keturah and Jacob and Esau and Edom I mean there's this long I've got 45 of them listed that it traces. And maybe you can give us again, repeat some of the I, the reason why these um, genealogies are important. Sometimes I know a lot of people read those and they go, oh, what are all these genealogies? And they, they, we, we tend to think of them as the boring part of the scriptures. And yet there's some aspects of these genealogies that if we understood them, uh, they would really be exciting to us. For one, they're a great way to kind of think your way through the biblical narrative, the story of God's dealing with these people. But I've always thought it's a pretty good, uh, it's really kind of interesting, too, that in the midst of all of this talk about nations and people groups and you know, this nation rises, this empire falls and this and Babylon and, and the Medo-Persians and this and people groups in, in the big state, it, it's so interesting to me that that God takes an interest in individuals and families and <laughs> that 
that that's still a part of his interest. You know that uh, I, I find that somewhat comforting that. Someday in the, in the revised eternal version of the scriptures, when we get up to glory and we're all telling our stories of grace and how God found us and what he did, when we're putting together the extended ultimate Bible uh, version, adding our stories, that it's going to be about thousands and thousands and millions of people that God found and he worked in our lives and he and he helped us and he guided us and he's, you know, he rescued us and so on. So to me, I find it comforting that that even in the midst of the big picture and the global movement of God and the rising and falling of empires and the in the you know the global redemptive plan of God that it's still about people individuals families uh, marriages and these adventures that individual people have to me that's kind of a that's one of the takeaways from the from the genealogies for me uh, I, I know also there's some other advantages maybe you can list to us as well. Uh, do you have time for a quick call, Jacob? You, you mind if we go ahead and jump over and get? No, please go right ahead. You're let me, let's get. Uh, I think it is Harold calling in with us tonight, and I know Harold. I, I'm almost certain Harold's going to have something to do, say about Mother's Day, but also uh, just to kind of hear. Maybe he's got an insight or a thought or a question about uh, the Book of the Chronicles as well. Harold, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing okay. Good to hear from you. Yeah, yeah, you too, and also Jacob, and that was real nice about uh, his grandson bringing his mother some food for breakfast. He, <laughs> I, I don't know if he's listening or not, but as he gets older, he uh, it's best if they stay asleep. <laughs> That's probably like the, in his teenage years, yeah. The better but, gift uh, is just let him sleep, but I get it. Yeah, I, just let I, him I, sleep. I, because, I bet you yeah, breakfast well, in bed wasn't too early, though, this morning, was it, Jacob? I mean... He probably did let her sleep in a little bit, right? Oh, yeah, you know. It was reasonable, 8, okay. 8.30, something like that. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, well, anyway, you know, speaking about mothers, you know, my aunt was here from uh, Washington State, and uh, we had a little dinner Wednesday night, you know, uh-huh. and uh, I noticed it was kind of a, like a kind of hush. Nobody was moving or eating, and then I remembered, so I said, uh, gracious, most most heavenly Father, we come here to eat all this great food. And I said, "Is that what you're waiting for, Lily May?" She goes, "Yes." I said, "Well, thank God, Amen." <laughs> we we generally don't pray every time, you know. Uh-huh. We we got out of the habit, I guess. But Lily May up there, where uh, they did uh, live in Washington. Uh-huh. They pray every meal. Well, good yeah. for her. Yeah, she's. Uh... I, I don't know who the cook is, so maybe that's why they're praying. But... <laughs> that's <right. laughs> that, that's maybe a there's thing. a little bit of uh, anxiety at the behind those prayers, right? Maybe so, but but there is something I wanted to say. Uh, sure. You know, besides, oh, there's one more other thing. I, I go to Barnes and Nobles almost every Sunday for about three or four hours, and and. I got my own table. Well, actually, everybody that goes there has their own table. Uh-huh. But it has been so pleasant. All the lights are burning, the AC's on, and everyone's so nice. And I just enjoy it so much. My wife goes with me, and uh, we uh, we took in a Slosky's, you know, uh, this afternoon, which I'm surprised somebody didn't want some. But, you know, they let us eat there, and we bring our soda water. Or we buy stuff there, too, cookies and everything. And I usually buy a Bible maybe once a month, uh-huh. something like that. Well, so, the rent the know. rent is rather modest, right? I mean, it's manageable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I try to spend about $50. You know, I do try to 
do my share. But there is something else. You know, I've been a little harsh, you know, with the preachers, what they should say or they shouldn't say, uh-huh. this and that and the other. But there's something else that's bugging me. And I don't know if it's referred to Second Kings chapter 23, verse 2. I'll read just a piece of it. It says, sure. and, and that's around Jos- uh, Josiris. Uh-huh. I, I think that's the word. And uh, it, it says, uh, it says, and and the king went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judea and Jerusalem, along with the priests and the prophets, all the people from the from the least to the greatest. There, the king read to them the entire book of the covenant. Some versions say law that uh-huh. had been found in the Lord's temple. And of course, you know the story how they were redrilling the temple and they found mm-hmm. you know the scrolls. And you know what gets me today is that there's so much uh, apology that preachers have to say, it seems like, you know, it's the inspired Word of God. You know, when I grew up, maybe even you, it was just the Word of God. You know, we didn't have to be so humble about it. And I don't think these people back here, when they found those scriptures, they didn't know, they did not know what I'm trying to say. They knew what they were. They didn't know what they weren't. There wasn't any psychologists or psychiatrists running around trying to help people and wonder where where was that printing press all these years? It, <laughs> they knew it was the word of God, you know. And nowadays, you know, my grandmother always said, "And the, the Bible inspires her. The word of God inspires her." And you know, I'm going to choose to live the rest of my life with yes, I'm inspired by the Bible because it is the word of God. Mm-hmm. And some people say the inspired word of God, mm-hmm. but that to me that. That takes away, you know, you know, we got to be brave and just say, this is the word of God. I'm not saying you, but, I, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying, I, it bothers me when somebody maybe sits next to me or around me that says, oh, that's just written. Who wrote it anyway? And mm-hmm. it's like, you know what? Exactly. If you're not even reading a verse a day, who are you to tell me? And why are you telling me? Yeah. And so anyway, um, I've been wanting to say that for a few weeks. Believe it or not, <laughs> I've been wanting to say that. Do you, do you before, feel Do you feel better now? Does having said I feel it. better, and it might last another week. I'm going to have to go to Barnes and Nobles again. I'm sure and <laughs> read up on some more stuff, and uh, I might need a like a Whataburger next time. It is so amazing, though, Harold. It truly yeah, is amazing that we have this book. You know, actually, it's 66 different books over a period of 1,500 years and all those things that we often repeat. But it is so amazing that that we have this record that was written down by real human beings in a given time, reflecting their experience of God and, and how God was active and spoke into their lives and moved and, and, and affected their lives. It's really amazing to have this book accurate accurately tra- passed to us and so on it's yeah. an amazing thing it's a tremendous gift that god has given to his people uh, and uh, I, I i agree with you yeah it's it, he's speaking today you know in different right. ways you know exactly. the doctor told me uh last monday he goes how if you can work till you're 70 years old this guy's 72 uh-huh. so i you know i think doctors uh preachers are and rabbis you know they all deal with the same thing they're all about the same people so uh that was really um encouraging for me to hear 
Good. You know, keep keep going until I'm 70. <laughs> you do that, I'm brother. I'm 63 we'll, now. I'm 63 now. So well, I'll see we you all next week. So that means we'll be hearing for you for, from for you from you for at least another seven years, right? So that'll be great. For at least another seven years, and then my son might take over. Good He's to in hear California from you. Right now, with his fiance. All right. Talk to you later. God bless you and Bye-bye. all the tribe over there. All right. Good to hear from you. All right. Thank you very much. Jacob, how about that? I'll I'll, I'll let you join that conversation. With, I, I'm just kind of taking over everything here. It's a, 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 you from over in Arizona tonight. But uh, we'll take this quick break. This song we're listening to is about, John put it on, it's about Babylon and the people returning from exile in Babylon. Uh, we'll come back. 340-9585 is our phone number, folks, if you'd like to join us. And, uh, again, Jacob and I will be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. God is always trustworthy. Our Daily Bread. Today's encouragement from the Our Daily Bread devotional was written by Tim Gustafson. Tim writes, Listen, my wife said to me over the phone, there's a monkey in our yard. She held up the phone so I could hear. And yes, it sounded just like a monkey. Which is weird, because the nearest wild monkey was 2,000 miles away. Later, my father-in-law burst our bubble. That's a barred owl, he explained. Reality was not what it had seemed. When King Sennacherib's armies had Judah's King Hezekiah trapped inside Jerusalem's walls, the Assyrians thought victory was theirs. Reality proved different. Although the Assyrian field commander used smooth words and pretended to speak for God, the Lord had his hand on his people. Second Kings 18.25 reads, Have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? the commander asked. As he tried to entice Jerusalem to surrender, he even said, Choose life and not death. That sounds like something God would say. But the prophet Isaiah told the Israelites the true words of the Lord. In Isaiah 19, God says, Sennacherib will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. I will defend this city and save it. That very night, the angel of the Lord destroyed the Assyrians. From time to time, we'll encounter smooth-talking people who advise us while denying God's power. That isn't God's voice. He speaks to us through his word. He guides us with his spirit. His hand is on those who follow him, and he will never abandon us. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. Like parents looking out for their kids, God stores up good for his children. His storehouse is filled with gifts he can't wait to give. Yet he waits and watches to see who he can entrust with the keys to his storeroom. Don't miss out on the good stored up for you. Learn all about it on this station. Live like you want him to give it to you. Discover the keys to God's storehouse. Here on The Word, it's all good. AM 630, The Word. Have you gotten yourself in trouble and you don't know where to go or what to do or who to talk to? Franklin Graham. First of all, God is there. He loves you. 
He surely does. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That's right. He can purify your heart, your life. When God purifies your heart and your life, you don't become a perfect person, but God helps you change and promises that you'll be in heaven forever when you die. I want you to know right now that you can get everything on the right track and God will forgive you of your sins and set you free if you're willing to repent and believe on the name of his son. Are you ready to believe on the name of God's son, Jesus Christ? We can help you make that decision. Go to findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. We're the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Well, if we haven't said it yet, happy Mother's Day to all of you out there who are moms and grandmoms and uh, moms-to-be. We had a wonderful time this morning out at Lackland Air Force Base. And uh, I taught the class today that is made up of basic trainees going into the Air Force, but they've now finished. They just graduated this past week uh, from basic training, and now they are no longer trainees but airmen. And uh, their moms and dads and uncles and aunts and grandpa and grandma and sweethearts and uh, next-door neighbors and old friends and pals from all across the United States. Many of them fly a great expense to be here for the graduation uh, from basic training of their loved ones, their, these young men and women going into the Air Force. And uh, it was so much fun to be. I teach that class often, uh, getting to meet so many of these families, moms and dads and people who come from all over the country to be with their their graduate and celebrate his uh, completion of basic training in the Air Force. What a, what a great day we had, just uh, congratulating all the moms in the, in the, fan, in the room and, uh, and uh, kind of had a little t- times of sharing as well as people talk about uh, uh, their moms and, you know, what, uh, of course, in the study, we focused a little bit on, on moms as well. So um, happy Mother's Day to all of you uh, uh, out there. Now, this particular radio host, I I, I was an orphan early on. Uh, d- I was passed around to 16 families before I was six years old. Since my last name is Dollar, I've always accused uh, uh, my mom. It really wasn't my mom. It was another lady who had found me and took me in. But I've always accused her of passing the buck. I got passed around 16 families before I was six and then put into a home for homeless and delinquent boys. And so I never knew mother. I never knew the phenomenon of mom. 
uh, on that sense. Now I have now that when I married my, uh, my sweetheart Suzanne, and we've had three children, and I've watched her as a mom in their lives, and so that's been refreshing and wonderful to experience from that angle. But uh, I hope you took time today to call your mom or to to bless her, to pray for her, to think of her, uh, and, and to celebrate the. The great, great contribution that moms make to our lives, uh, uh, all of our lives. And the, it's an amazing thing to this person who has known you every second of your life. Don't, isn't that? It seems to me like that's got to be an, a, a remarkable relationship. Jacob, is your uh, tell? Is your mom? I'm guessing I, we haven't talked about this very much. Is your your mom has gone on in, to glory? Oh or? yeah, no. Uh, no, Sophie, uh, I am an orphan, too, because both my parents are now deceased. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, but they didn't, they didn't get deceased until much later, of okay. course. But, uh, but, but I just, one time a friend of mine told me, he said, and he was in his 50s, and he said, you know, technically, uh, anybody whose parents are gone is an orphan. He said, both my parents are dead, so I'm an orphan. So I thought, well, I thought, you know, that doesn't make us all sometime an orphan. That's right. At some point, um, in most cases, we all are become orphaned. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but at least you have that memory of this person who has no, who knew you your entire life, who who uh, cleaned your diapers and dried your tears and spanked your bottom and told you about your first date. And you know, I, I mean, there's so many things that moms do uh, in their lives. It must be it must be amazing to an amazing experience to have this person th- that you know has known you every minute of your life that all that every experience it's uh i've often i've tried to think about that and, and what it must be like uh, to have a mom and dad present as this people who know you like that um I've, I've often heard you talk about your mom and evidently y'all were close and she had quite an impact on you I can honestly say that I had never heard my mother say a cuss word in her whole life. Well, I'll be. Hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I, I may have told the story before, but I would enjoy hearing it again, so I'll tell it. <laughs> uh, when I was, oh, I don't know, maybe 10, I was riding in the car with her. I was in the front seat, and we're driving down the street in a residential section, and the ball comes bouncing out between two cars. Oh, my God. And a little boy comes running out chasing the ball. She slams on the brakes. She did not hit the little boy. But I remember her putting her hand on her chest and saying, oh, thank God, thank God I didn't hit that little boy. If I'd have hit that little boy, I wouldn't have deserved to live. And I thought, and I learned a lot about her at that moment that that was so precious to her that she wouldn't have thought that she had a right to live if she had hit that little boy. (laughs) And that, see, that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of thing that here you are, uh, uh, much older now, and yet isn't it interesting that that conversation, that event, that little thing that happened when you were a young child has stayed with you through the decades. Uh, That. That's fascinating to me that 
those kind of things, the kind of things that stay with us. And a lot of times those things do revolve around mom and dad and family, things that they said. And sometimes it scares me because I think, oh, what are my kids remembering? <laughs> you know, uh, do they remember dad, uh, some little thing I said that in a negative sense? But that is a beautiful, a beautiful memory. She sounds like a very caring woman. And uh, she she evidently did all right with you. That's I mean, that was. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, and I, I freely admit it, and I hear other people tell sad stories, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, especially if they felt they weren't treated right by their parents. I realized how fortunate I was because the neighborhood I grew up in, I had my grandparents, my aunts, my uncles all within a walking distance. And whenever uh, uh, holidays would occur, everybody got together at my grandparents' house. <laughs> I was very, very fortunate. That is a blessing, no doubt. We had all of our all of our kids came over. The grandkid came over today. We had a the boys uh, went together and got a, a great meal for mom, so she didn't have to cook. And John brought it over. We just sat around. We watched a uh, Barcelona soccer game. Our, one, our oldest son is really a big Barca fan. He was born over there in Spain, and so he's always followed Barcelona. And was always, he himself was a great soccer player uh, through uh, high school and into college. And, and so on. So uh, we just had a great time as well. It, it is um, family is an amazing thing, and uh, and moms and dads and passing it on. I'm, I'm glad you got a chance to be over with your family uh, this week as well. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's get and, into. Let's get, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Speaking of mothers, I did want to point out something. So, somebody told me, and I know they listen to the show, and perhaps they get a chance they can call in. Uh-huh. Now, I have not done this, but. You know, so often the Bible is criticized by certain factions as saying, well, it's not, doesn't pay a lot of attention to women and that kind of thing. And somebody told me this week that they had counted the women mentioned in the first few chapters of the book of Chronicles. Huh. And, and I cannot remember if they said 33 or 43. And I thought, well, I've never done that. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, that's very interesting. And the truth is, is that uh, talking about mothers, um, we do the book of Chronicles is really uh, at least the first book is tracing the lineage of the Levites and especially the David lineage because uh-huh. it's supposed to prove to the Messiah. That's why you end up in the in the book of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament. They're giving you that genealogy, trying to say, "Hey, this is a real, real descendant." And uh, so, but you know, when you go down through that, as we say, they'll. They'll have each person have a, a, several children, perhaps. Well, only one will be the next topic, and then it'll list his five children, and then one of them will go on. And they're tracing the lineage all the way down to David, and of course in the New Testament, then they trace it down to Jesus. Uh-huh. So the the lineage is very important. But talking particularly about mothers, um, you know, in the Jewish world. Uh, you, you're not Jewish unless your mother was Jewish. Did you know that? <laughs> I think I did, but I've never internalized that entirely. I, uh, I wonder how is is there some basis for that? I have heard it before. Uh, I, I don't know if we tend to be more in our culture today in our society. I don't. I don't think. You know, for example, I'm, I'm Mescalero Apache, uh, and it was both mother and father. But I don't guess 
I, I don't know if, if they would say, well, you're not an Apache unless your mother was Apache. It, it's it's kind of an unusual thing. Why is that? Is it because of that unusual covenant relationship? Is that part of it? Is that uh, when you were when you were born into the nation of Israel as part of you kind of were born into that very special covenant obligation to know and follow you know, the true and living God and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is that part of the mix there? Well, here's the catch. You're Jewish by uh, by your mother being Jewish. Uh-huh. Uh, you get your tribe from your father. And then you, of course, if you're in the line of David, then you're David. If you're in the line of Levite, you'll be a priest or a Levite. But you, so you get your uh, your, your tribe from your, your your father, but you're Jewish from your mother. But you're now, Jewish. In other words, your connection with the with Israel, the people of the covenant, you know, the Jewish people, Jew, Jewish that special relationship and so on, that is, comes through the mom. I'm wondering if that is why it is so. It, in one sense, that God encourages and commands so the people of Israel, the men of Israel, to to marry uh, Jewish women and not to be because the women have such a formative, such a powerful influence on the uh, growth and direction and the spiritual life of, of their children. I wonder if that's why the mother relationship is so... Um, I mean, and, and the wife, and so on, is so so much a part of God's direct commands about not marrying well, outside that, the faith, and so on. And you know, and, and practically speaking, uh-huh. uh, not to be crass, but we always know for sure uh, who the mother is. But sometimes you can have certain doubts about the father. You know. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. But uh, but but now, suppose a Jewish man marries a Jewish or a, a not marries a woman who's not Jewish. If she, uh, shall we say, converts right. before the birth of the child, then the child is, a, is she's considered a Jewish mom, and the child is Jewish. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, uh, technicalities and details uh, uh, of of this very spiritual relationship, or this very spiritual dynamic of the people of Israel. Well, and if I might, yeah, and if I might point out that I think. In my humble opinion, that's why the genealogy, especially of uh, listening to Mary in the book of Luke, is essential because that's where Jesus would have got his Jewishness. Right. And so, if he hadn't had that, you know, and she, it could have been from a non-Jewish woman who followed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Scott. But in the again, it traces it to Mary. And therefore, we know he is "quote unquote" Jewish. If uh, she, if if he had been born to somebody else that was not a follower, then he first he would not be Jewish. Second, he could not be the Messiah. Uh, right. That would have that would have been that would have eliminated him. No doubt about it. All these little details. Uh, I, it, I understand at least. Uh, the understanding I've had over the decades as I've grown is that most think that Joseph probably didn't was older, older than than Mary, uh, and that possibly uh, that he may have passed earlier in in uh, Jesus' uh, life is, is growing up, and that Jesus, as the older brother of a family, there were siblings evidently in his family that that he had 
family obligations, taking care of his mother and his uh, younger siblings and so on. And part of the reason that the delay from uh, we knew that he knew who he was, his identity, essentially, uh, not, not with all the details. Of course, he, he grew and he expanded his understanding and knowledge as he walked with God, with, his, with, the, with God through his life of faith. But that he essentially knew his identity at pretty much at age 12. He knew he was the Messiah. He had stepped into that role and accepted by faith that role. But it was 18 years later before he actually took the first step to inaugurate his ministry and to present himself publicly to as the Messiah to begin to present himself and to minister, um, and it was his mom that kind of, in a way, pushed him a bit, <laughs> encouraged him to get on out there, you know, and uh, change the water to wine at that marriage and and so on. Um, very very interesting that just even in the life of Jesus, the uh, the int- the influence of a mom. That's that would be a great. That's one of the things I think that Mel uh, Gibson in his. Um, in his movie, uh, the the uh, Passion of the Christ, there is kind of a special interest and in, uh, focus on Mary. Uh, how in her, it had to be a remarkable relationship, you know. The, the, oh yeah, and of course, Mel Gibson, yeah, Mel Gibson, of course, is an Orthodox Catholic, you know, uh-huh. and uh, and uh, but uh, one of the things there's something else important because uh, God is not from the tribe of Judah. Right. So if you must get your tribe from your father, and as the story explains, that God was the father of Jesus and mm-hmm. Mary had a human mother, then uh, so I've, I've actually read and heard that criticized a few times, and, and, but here the, that's, that's incorrect, actually. Uh, it, an adopted son, let's say a Levite marriage, uh-huh. or an adopted son, inherits with full rights as anybody else. So Joseph, uh, he would have passed on his tribe of Judah, because Joseph is from the tribe of Judah. And secondly, he was passing on the line of Davidic uh, ancestor. In other words, an ancestor, he's a descendant from David. David, So as an adopted son, Jesus becomes part of the tribe of Judah and also inherits the line of the king of David. Yeah, I, actually, there's a passage here in Chronicles, and uh, I was looking at earlier today this particular question. Uh, no, it's number fourteen on our question list in First uh, Chronicles chapter seventeen. Uh, there is a, a promise that God gives Ezra. Of course, here repeats it in this in this history. God promises that one of David's sons would build a temple for God and would sit on the throne forever, an eternal hey, throne. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. That's one of those things I, you know, I kind of slipped in our conversation. But let's take a look at that because that I think what you just picked on is going to really clear up some things because there is some fantastic language in that chapter 17. Okay, great. Shot in the dark, and I and I and I hit something that maybe you could get, shed some light on. I'm going to go over the, the, that chapter, First uh, Chronicles chapter 17, and uh, have it over. What, what kind of uh, things were you alluding to there? What do you mean? Uh, okay. Now, uh, now, let me flip over here and see if I can't locate the passage. It says, uh, and it says uh, chapter 17. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And um. 
it says he's talking to Solomon, right? Yes. Uh huh. And uh, he says to Solomon, uh, uh, "You, you will always have a uh, son on the, th- the throne." Now, now the this, fact is, that, this is David, right? Yeah, it's David. He's speaking. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, it is David, yes. Uh-huh. Huh? So David, and then it's from Solomon, and the son will continue. Right. Uh, okay, now here's the catch. Uh, he, this has nothing to do, really, with the technicality of uh, a virgin birth. The virgin birth had to be had to be done according to the structure of the story in the New Testament. But there's another requirement. You can be a king but not a son of God or a son of David. Uh-huh. And I've heard you say that you, before. I mean, I'm interested in your explaining that a little bit better to me. Sure. And what happens is, is uh, David, let's uh, suppose that God promised you'll always have a king on the throne. Mm-hmm. All right, so there'd always be a biological chain of uh, descendancy on the throne, or having access to the throne. Uh-huh. So he, he might be the biological descendant, but he'll not be considered a quote-unquote son of God. Now, now we're, so we're not touching the virgin birth idea. We're leaving that alone, and we're just saying that is there, and that's what the story says, and that's good for us. However, there's a second requirement, and that is, well, let's say God made a promise to David, and you'll find that it's back in Samuel, and it's here in Chronicles, <clears throat> and it says, uh, if you're, you will always have a descendant on the throne, and if you look closely at how it's worded, uh-huh. it says, and if they obey the laws of Moses, they will be a son of mine. As a separate aspect of them. They're yeah. in the lineage, but not only in the royal lineage, but also to be a son of God. And two different, as separate that's things. That's where, where is that particularly? I'd like to take a peek at well, that. Well, say that. Do you have well, a little? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was looking at that a little earlier. Actually, 17 is where he's telling them that you're going to build the house for me because right. I've killed the people and I can't do that. Uh-huh. Um, but let me see if I can find this real quick because it is a great. Uh, okay, yes. Turn over to chapter twenty-two. Okay, I'm there. Okay, and uh, why don't you read, if you don't mind, uh, from your version, starting. Uh, let's see. Actually, and this is a summary, and you sa- as you said, Ezra put this together because Jewish history records that Ezra had three schools. And he followed all three schools to put the chronicles together for us. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So look at Joe, if you could read at, uh, uh, starting at uh, verse 11 and going through, uh, let's see here. i got to turn the page, and my pages are not opening. Okay. Uh, uh, through, uh, I guess, uh, verse uh, chapter 11 through... Uh, uh, I guess uh, chapter eleven and twelve, chapter uh, verses eleven and twelve. I verses guess. eleven and twelve. Okay, so this is David uh, speaking to his son Solomon, 
uh, and yep. he's preparing Solomon to take uh, to sit on the throne to take pick up when when he passes from the scene, and they're preparing to to build the temple and so on. And he explains the background and how he's collected vast sums of money and building materials. Uh, he couldn't build the temple himself, and so he's passing them on to Solomon. And it says here, uh, yep. David is talking to Solomon and giving him these instructions for the temple and so on. And he says, "Now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give." you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding. There's those words we've talked about many other times. May the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. And 13, I'm sorry. Go ahead. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations and commands that God gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. Okay. Now, what's not caught, but you, we, we really identified and you just read, he says, look, you're going to be the king. Uh-huh. So you're biological descent, you'll be the king. But you're going to be the... Uh, also the Son of God, and it's in verse 13, it says, uh-huh. if you follow the rules that God gave to Moses, uh-huh. so the belongs in the Torah. So, in other words, and here's the catch. Let's say uh, God made this promise to David. You always have a king on the throne. That's not an issue. But, uh, and they'll be uh, your biological descendants. Uh-huh. But some of Kings may not, and we know this from the book of Kings, uh-huh. they may not always follow God's laws. They'll be bad guys. Uh-huh. Man- so, I think of Manasseh, you know, and some of the others that, that, that yeah. had their... Uh, so, although Manasseh had his moments. Maybe we can talk about that a little bit later. He did have well, a brief period in his life when he seemed yeah. to have repented. And, yeah, it's very interesting. Well, he did. He did. And the repentance is important. But if we get, if we get the chain of the sentence, let's say... God made the promise to all the descendants. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I heard some music. I'm sorry. You got about um, 30 seconds. Well, okay, I was just saying. So, if one that did not follow God's laws cannot disrupt the promise to the next one that does. Ah, interesting. So each one stands on their own merits and their own faith, on their own. There'll be a biological descendant, but. Up and before Jesus, they still had to follow God's laws to be a son of God. So it'll be both biological descendant of David, son of God. If that's why it says Moses. Three and actually, zero. Come back. Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar.
final segment. I tell you, this program has gone by so fast tonight. And, uh, of course, uh, Jacob is joining me from out in Arizona. He's visiting with his daughter and, and uh, grandson out there and getting a chance to enjoy this Mother's Day uh, weekend out there with uh, with family, and uh, we are so happy about that. But thanks too for taking the time out and uh, to join us, Jacob, from the phone over there. Uh, interestingly, you, you're talking about it is curious. Here we are in the book of the Chronicles, and they're talking about this lineage and this. Uh, that's another reason the, the the genealogies are so important is because there is it's part of the redemptive plan is that that God is going to send this very special individual, this deliverer. This this uh, uh, anointed one, this Messiah, this uh, hero that is going to come and deliver. And not just talking about the nation group of Israel, but for all humanity, this redeemer, the redemptive plan of God for all of humanity. And, it, and a lot of it is uh, it's based on the fact that he, he's going to be a human being. He's going to be born. He's going to be a, you know, a little fertilized egg on the wall of his mother's womb and he's going to go through a gestation he's going to be born he's going to you know poop his diapers and cry and and so and he's going to be a toddler then he's going to he's going to be a man a real person a human being and so uh these genealogies take on an added uh importance in that sense in the big sense uh at least uh in the big huge sense of of the redeemer and the savior but you were talking about now uh this genealogies here in the book of the chronicles and the fact that s- sometimes the kings that are mentioned in terms of the lineage of david sometimes they're kings but then sometimes as well they are both king and Sons of God, they're people who uh, who who follow after God and love God. I remember you told me one time that uh, you were talking to some friend of yours, a Jewish friend, uh, that we do this program together, and you were telling him about wow, and he was saying wow, that's amazing, you know, and, and he lets you talk, and <laughs> he yeah, that's, no uh, that's great. <laughs> but, yeah, it was more it was more than just a friend; it was actually a, a Orthodox rabbi, and he says he said so. He actually lets you talk on there. <laughs> can't can't get him not to talk, folks. I, I and frankly, uh, we need your voice. But I remember you mentioning to him. He said, "Well, sounds like he must be a he must be a son of God." <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he, he, yeah. He said, "Well, he must." Talking about you, he said, "Well, he must be truly a son of God." Then that is so. I've never forgotten that. I really haven't. And I guess it—it's some of what you're alluding to tonight when you talk about these kings that are not only kings uh, in in Israel and over Israel and so on, but they are also sons of God in the sense of uh, of their own relationship to God, the way they love Him and follow Him and follow after Him. wasn't always true, I guess. Well, that's right. In fact. If you uh, don't want to get too technical on this, but you know there are things that are required to meet the requirements to be uh, a king, and that's a biological defense. The other thing is that if you obey God's laws, and I will tell you, and I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but maybe your Bible has references or notes or something. Uh, If you go back and you look closely at when David talks to Solomon, he Uh says, "Listen." You will always, technically, they say a man on the throne, but technically it says you will never have a man cast out. In other words, you'll always have a biological descendant. Okay. And then there's a second line, and it says, and if you follow the laws of God, you will be as that Moses has written. And that's why it says what we were just reading, it, he references Moses. So he's saying, look, 
you, you may be a king, but in order to be a, a righteous king, you must also follow the laws of God. So when I read this stuff in the New Testament, I think, well, okay, Jesus was come from the Virgin, the, the Mary. Uh-huh. That's, that's what we're told. That's what we should accept. That's what the literature says. And so, but still in all, he still had to meet the second requirement uh-huh. of following the laws of God. Exactly. And we've seen over time, as we go back and forth between the Hebrew Scriptures, the Tanakh, the, 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 Tanakh, the Old Testament, and so and into the, the New Testament Scriptures, uh, what you've kind of helped us to see is that, in fact, that is exactly what Jesus did. He taught uh, the Torah. He taught God's commands, he, the Sermon on the Mount, and so on. The, the, he did not, this whole idea that um, that we're under grace, not under the law, and that the laws of God are passe, and that they no longer apply, and there's no value to us as God's people, we certainly did not, would not have gotten that from the Messiah himself, because he... Uh, he clearly states that this book of the law shall not depart. I mean, that, that these heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word of God's word will pass away. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, and so on. And, and uh, a very, very interesting passage, isn't it? It goes along with exactly what you're saying. Jesus did indeed teach and encourage and follow himself. Well, the law. Another, another thing in the book of Chronicles. As uh, you look at chapter 21, and this is one of the things that always seems very confusing to people. And, and I know the, chrono- the chronologies are there, the genealogies are there, uh-huh. and that can be very uh, dis- disturbing. And they think, okay, I read these names, so what? But if you look <laughs> at 21, uh, look, at, look at 21, and that's a, that has to do with taking a census. Uh, yes, that's right. And and uh, and verse twenty one one says Satan rose against Israel. Interesting. Well, and you know that almost contradicts. You have Jesus. You have God giving in some way. Uh, we're thinking God is behind this book and uh, so on. And you have this emphasis on uh, genealogies, on people, and, and carefully noting who begat who and begat who and begat who and that sort of thing. And on the other hand, you have this strong this. According to this, at least, uh, in chapter 21 of Chronicles, we, there's this understood mandate that they're not to take a census. Um, and maybe you can shed some light as to why they were not. I think most of our you know, Christian churches, it is taught that, well, you're not to... That you're not to depend on your army ultimately, and you know that your your ultimate faith is to be in God, and I, maybe that's a part of the answer. But I think you've alluded to a different reason they were not to take yeah, a census. It's in, it, it, yeah, it's actually in uh, the Book of Numbers, uh-huh. and you know what it's talking about is you are not to reduce a human being to a number. Because now, and that's as, funny as, that we as, find that in the Book of Numbers. <laughs> Yeah, so well, a little yeah. bit ironic there, I guess. So yeah, well, of course that's bar me bar in the Hebrew, but, right? Yeah. Uh, but the uh, but so the point is, so, and it's exactly what you say. Uh, not to depend on your numbers, but if I make the decision that my numbers are such, I've reduced these human beings to a number, and I start just using them as pawns, not thinking about them as human beings. That's why they always have names, and it's forbidden by God, and it would apply to everybody, but the example here is, talking about Israel, and it says, you shall not count Israel 
And so an alternative, things are counted, people are not. So you have to always remember these are human beings. You can't reduce them to the status of an item or a thing. Well, you know, I mentioned before that in the book of the Chronicles, Ezra doesn't include, often he doesn't include the failures and the sins, uh, the flaws in their hero. But in this particular case, in in chapter 21 you're talking about, he actually does uh, uh, include this, which is obviously a failure. And I find it so it's so ironic as well that when David decided to take the census of the people, it turned out to be Joab, his general, who in most cases I would think, well, Joab was a real scoundrel. Boy, I mean, he he was he didn't want to get on his bad side. He he didn't mind taking people out. He he was a genuine warrior. He uh, I mean, he killed a lot of people in his life. Uh, in, in fact, Absalom, I think, was one. Didn't Joab, yeah. wasn't he the one that thrust yeah. the sword? And So here it is, but but it turns out that it's Joab who's warning David and says, uh, why do you want to do this? You know, you, we're not supposed to well, take uh, a census, you know. I find that kind well, of surprising. Well, it's, yeah, and Joab, you're right. And Joab was, because uh, he was actually referencing the law. Now, you're familiar with this. Yeah. Because there's an incident that's well known in the Christian churches and the Christian scriptures about this same thing that takes place. Now, if you go back and you look in Numbers and what's the talk about this, so Satan rose and said, "Hey, count them, just use them as numbers." Uh-huh. But in, in, and so there's a system created that was in Exodus and in Numbers, and what happened was each person. Would, ha- would donate, a rich person could not do more, a poor person could not do less. So everybody was equal in the building of the tabernacle. Like in the wilderness. Two, two shekels or something like that, right? A half a shekel. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, so what happens is we all throw in a half shekel if we want to be counted among Israel. And so then they could count the numbers of shekels. And so we're not counting human beings, we're counting how many people chose to be counted among the nation of Israel. So you count the little half shekels, it's like maybe a half penny, let's say, and you count them and you know the numbers because those are the people that chose to be counted among them. So you don't count the people. Now, where does that story occur for the Christians in the New Testament, do you know? Yes. Uh, it's Isn't that when the uh, woman that Jesus is observing... He's sitting and, and he's watching the people as they come to pay their p- temple tax. And there's this elderly woman, I believe, very uh, given. We're given to understand she's uh, impoverished, is very poor, but she gives those two coins. She gives everything she. He says uh, these other people give out of their wealth, but she gives all yes. that she has. Is that uh, is that the correct? Yeah, yes. thinking of? And, and that's right. And he says. Wherever this is told, she shall be remembered, because she is counted among the, uh-huh. the faithful of Israel. Interesting. And so, and that's why Jesus says that. And that she's following the official system of counting of how you determine a, a census, you might say. Now, that that was a voluntary tax, too, wasn't it? I mean, it was it yeah. was a, a command, but... Yeah. You are you are not required. If you choose not to be counted among Israel, you can make that decision. But if you are going to be chosen, chosen through you know personal decision, then you toss in your half penny, let's say, and then they get counted. So that woman in the New Testament, she's 
choosing to be counted among them. It was almost a statement of faith, wasn't it? And, that, and so what you're saying here in Chronicles is that David bypasses that and he does what he shouldn't do. And and, it, and miracle of miracles, it turns out to be Joab, uh, who this very harsh and <laughs> I, I, I wonder how I, tell me a, a later. How do people of Israel view Joab? Was he viewed as a good guy or a bad guy or what? It was. Well, uh, I. Uh... Up and down, and basically, back and forth. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a back and forth deal. Now, I personally always thought if I was wealthy, I would make a movie about Joab. Huh. Because to me, yeah. Yeah, to me, David wouldn't have got where he got if it wasn't for Joab. No, you're exactly right. Joab was, uh, he was actually the the uh, general for his opponent, the guy who was, uh, who was the... Um, the, uh, who was already, uh, I guess, uh, powerful and embarked on being the king. What, that, am I right here, uh, or was that Solomon? Yeah. No, but no, Joab, but no, Joab was the one that made the difference for him, right? Yeah, Joab was the one that would always kind of go out and take guard to David's back. There's no doubt about that. And, and didn't he kill Abner? Uh, yes, he did. Yeah. yeah. And he would, and uh, so th- those are things that are required, and and. They just don't mention it much in the uh, uh-huh. in the book of, in the chronicles because, as you say, primarily it's it's what, it's really talking about the praiseworthy deeds. Now, elsewhere in the book of Chronicles, it does mention that David learned his lesson because he's offered the three penalties. David yeah. picks one. I'm not, I've never been satisfied with David's choice, but that's my my own. Well, explain that. There, what were the three options? One, I remember he could. Uh, was it about an illness? One was uh, plague. Yeah, yeah. One was um, war. Yeah, one was. Uh, say, in the turn here. Uh, one was uh, take a choice: a three-year famine, three months of uh, being on flight, uh, and people overtaking you, and or uh, you um, you have a plague. Yeah, a plague. Uh, and, so uh, and a famine. And, three years of famine. Three months of destruction by the sword of your enemies, or three years of severe plague. Three days, right. three days. So he went with the he went with the shorter thing, I guess, right? Well, I, I, you know what? Uh, here's my difficulty, and that's just my personal difficulty. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, in twenty one uh, uh, fourteen, it says that the. It was kind of like the, the plague fell on Israel and 70,000 men. 70,000? So. Like, Are you yeah, saying 70, men or people? No, 70,000 men. Ah, this says people, so I'm glad to, that's a, men is what is referenced here. 70,000 well, men died. That's the reason I've got, yes. So. Uh-huh, okay. But anyway, so I always thought, geez, you know, that's rather selfish. Because yeah. uh, I would have thought that, you know, 70,000 people was not worth David. You know, that's what my feeling. But, uh, but that's my personal uh, thought on it. Yeah, yeah. But I thought, but, you know, uh, see, in Israel, even today, uh, things are done different. You know how, like in the American Army, uh, we, the generals have a command post, and they kind of stand back, and they have a war room, and they direct, and they send out the troops, right? Yes, right. Uh, well, that's not how it's done in Israel. Okay. In Israel, in Israel, who are the commander has to lead the troops. Uh huh. They can't go. The general can't go back and just say, "I want you guys to go over there and take care of that chore." 
he's got to be out there leading the way. And David evidently did that, right? Uh, I think David did that. that he did that, yes. Except I, that, I one notable, that one notable moment when all the kings went out to war and he stayed home, and that's when he got in trouble with Bathsheba. But, uh, but apart from that, he... And, and, and if you, when you start putting this whole story together, you realize what he was doing was he was actually falling into the idea, I'm sad to say, I think it's one of his failings, that he was actually saying, you know, look, I'm the king, I'm important, and, uh, you know, the other guy's got a lot of numbers, and I'm going to move my numbers around to win this war. <laughs> and that's why uh, that's not supposed to be how it's done, because that will inevitably lead people to make that kind of a decision that other people are expendable. Uh-huh. Uh, I see. I see. Ah, interesting. I see what you mean now about you've kind of never been particularly at ease with David's decision to uh, – he chose the plague in 70,000 men or 70,000 people. Uh, it was a terrible price to pay for for ultimately his own – failure his own sin um very interesting very very interesting. and i noticed that coming out of that when the plague ended uh david had a vision of an angel uh there standing between heaven and earth with his sword drawn reaching out over jerusalem and uh and this was the angel of the lord was standing by the threshing floor of arauna the jebusite this remember the Jeb the Jebusites were the ones who lived and populated that uh, region that area of Jerusalem before Israel had come, and so it ends up that that he is instructed to purchase that that property right. the, uh, of the of the uh, threshing floor, and that turns out to be the location of the temple. Right later on, in fact, is of the uh, that, that is a hundred percent right. Yeah. Very, very. It's so interesting how these themes tie together. They don't seemingly have anything to do with each other, but but they do. Uh, this is another aspect of coming out of that another, that illness or that plague. Yeah, and another. I add them. It's something listed on one of your questions, but it comes out of chapter thirteen. Uh-huh. Is the hard to understand story about a guy doing something good and he dies. He gets fried. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember him. That's uh, that fellow who reached out his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, they, they they rescued the Ark of the Covenant from. Uh, no, no, no. Though they're trying to move the Ark of the Covenant uh, to Jerusalem, where David now has built the uh, uh, the the. Well, he's he he hadn't built the temple, but he's doing these right. works and he's gathered the money right. so he's trying to get the the altar there in his capital city uh which i suppose is a good thing but as they move it this guy named uza uh reaches out well-intentioned maybe even innocent i'm not sure how you would view that uh but he reaches out his hand to steady yeah, the ark of the covenant and he gets zapped <laughs> And why, one of the background story is, of course, the Philistines, and, you know, they had got, actually, they, they had, this is a horrible story, but uh-huh. they got piles. They got piles. And that's why they put seven little gold things of piles on the wagon. Uh-huh. And they sent, and they put the loads of the ark on there, and they also put the, those golden rats or mice or whatever they were. And basically, it was so, it's a horrible story, but rather distasteful. But uh-huh. they got piles, and it was, so they're, they're infested with rats or mice, and uh-huh. uh, they were coming along and biting their piles, which must have been painful. Yes. 
And so anyway, so they sent it back. So David just thinking to himself, you might say, according to the great sages, scholars, they said, well, they said the salt was done that way, so it must be okay to do it that way. So he started doing it. And in 1307, uh, they transported the Ark of God on a new wagon. And so then uh, these two guys, one of whom being Uzzah, is walking along, and the ark starts to slip off. Now, here's a, he's doing it, it looks to you and me like a good deed, right? right? He puts his hand up there, touches the ark to keep it from falling on dirt, and he gets fried. <laughs> I say zapped, you say fried, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but you know, let's see, and then uh, it says, let's see, uh, verse 10, God became angry at Uzzah, and he struck him down, having stretched out his hand to the ark. And so he died before God. And and so you think, now wait a minute. This guy's not doing something bad. What's this about? Well, I kind of, the way I feel about it, I also feel that's part of David's responsibility. As well. Because, yeah, yeah because the truth is, that just simply the first thing is that it's so what? Uh, the, David knows, supposed to know the laws from the Torah. Uh-huh. And only the Levites can carry that. They should not have been on a wagon. Should have been only carried by the Levites. Uh-huh. Now the question is: Is God being unfair and and as you, what you call it, zapping uh, you, Uzzah? But uh, mm. is, uh, do you think he's being unfair? I I, uh, I, I, I don't know. I I've kind of come to my peace about it. Uh, Myself, I have my own little view of what happened, and, and no, I don't believe so. These are the rules. This is what God says. I am, I am assuming that Uzzah himself may have known better, but I'm not. I, I suppose that's not an assumption we can. Uh, at least David had responsibility to. I, evidently, somebody had, as leaders, had responsibility to to avoid this. They should have warned. They should have not had the the Ark of the Covenant on a, on a wagon, for example, and so on. And, and I guess it's part of the idea that sometimes that's part of the weight of leadership is sometimes when you're the leader, uh, other people get hurt. And it, it's... Well, here's, uh, here, here's an interesting thought. Uh-huh. We've <clears> only <throat> got about two or three minutes here, so I want to okay. warn you. Okay, well, uh, here's an interesting thought. Okay, so... In, when you make an altar in Israel, it commands you should not use a hewn sword or a piece of metal iron to make like other people's altars. You make an altar in Israel simply from the earth that God has provided. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. In the case, they don't use any kind of instrument you made. And now, here is the issue. So the earth is not dirty to God. He made the earth. Right. What's dirty, what's dirty to God is sin. So I a sinner, see. a sinner is not allowed to touch the ark because he—that's the dirty part to God. Yeah, and, and and not that God hates the sinner, but the sin, yes, cannot be. Yeah, that it cannot be abided, cannot be uh, yeah. tolerated. And, and I see what you mean there. So it wasn't just that it wasn't that it would have hit the ground or, or so on. It was because the earth is not like you say. The earth is. Innocent and I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, the earth does not commit sense. Okay. So anyway, and then as we know later on, of course, uh, it's stored at uh, somebody's residence, 
And then David then learns his lesson. So it's a process of learning for David because he doesn't do any more senses on his own after a while. And two chapters but, later, they successfully moved the ark. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this guy yeah. that you, uh, I think just in time for Mother's Day here, uh, as we end the program, this guy, Obed uh, Odom, he is blessed. His family is blessed because they kept the ark of the covenant. You have an admonition for our listeners. Always. <laughs> Yep. And it's brought to you by Free Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 